everyone. My name is Matthew Ayers. I'm on staff here at New Life Church and work with the local ministries department. So I get to oversee local missions for New Life, but my main role, it's kind of a unique thing for our church. Uh, we helped launch some dream centers a few years ago, the dream centers of Colorado Springs. So I get to oversee and run the dream centers and New Life keeps me on staff pays for my salary and loans me out full-time to run this nonprofit. So that's part of their investment into Dream Centers to keep our overhead lower. And uh, it's such a great matchup because I love staying connected to the body here. I love staying an integral part of what New Life is doing in our city with local missions, but it's also wonderful to be able to work with this nonprofit uh, to get to connect with other churches around the city, other parachurch ministries, so the partnerships are broad and wide. And so today, if you're here for local missions, local ministries, you're in the right place. And we'll do some breakouts today. We'll have fun. We'll get into some small group discussions. We'll try to break into groups of three. So um, it looks like we're pretty spread out where we can do that fairly easily. Just so you know, we'll be preparing to do that. Uh, But let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness for bringing so many beautiful people to Colorado Springs for this conference. God, we thank you for what you're doing in their lives. We thank you, God, that you are here among us. God, we love this opportunity to hear from you, to hear from your word. So God, would you open our hearts and minds together? God, would you draw us together in unity as your body of Christ? Would you help us to pay attention to the unique things that you're doing in the ministry, the vocation that you've called us to And God, we pray that you would stir up the Holy Spirit in all of us, God, so that we could walk out of here changed and that we could walk out of here with a greater vision for what you want to do in our cities for local ministry. We thank you so much for leading us and guiding us, Holy Spirit. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So thank you, everyone, for being here. I love local missions. This is my passion. It's so fun to get to share a little bit about this with you. And there's not going to be any wiser persuasive words here today, but we're going to be real simple, cut and dry gospel. So this is fun. Today we're going to be talking, uh, really working through uh, the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be looking at Matthew's extended cut version of this sermon. So I'll start off with a little story just about dream centers uh, and give you some context for what we're doing. We started three years ago. Uh, just July 31st. So we're a little over three years old now. And at this time, uh, we wanted, after six months of extended and focused prayer, we really felt like the Lord was leading us to open a women's clinic. So we had the job description out there. We even posted it on Craigslist. And sure enough, uh, this new family in town, not knowing what was next, there's a, the, the spouse, this wife, was wanting to work part-time, not full-time. She had two little toddlers And her husband found our ad for the Dream Center's women's clinic director, first position, first clinic of its kind in the city. And and he said, you know what, honey, I think you should pray about this. So Michelle took that to prayer. And in no time, she was opening this clinic and leading things and guiding a big team of volunteers that had all kinds of varying degrees of zeal and varying degrees of wisdom. And it was a fun journey, but she just launched head-on into this experience, and she was indeed a brave soul. Well, some of the things that we offered in 
in the, the women's clinic, it was holistic ministry. So we were offering uh, prayer, which right here we've got one of our faithful prayer team leaders who's been with us since the beginning. We offered social services. We've offered, um, uh, obviously, the medical help. We've offered all kinds of social services and from resource advocacy to hand-holding throughout the community, case management. Uh, and one of the other things is professional counseling. So our, our, our very first counseling patient we had, uh, her name was Carrie, and she had experienced um, some of the most brutal things you can imagine. And so in this, our first counselor, first counseling patient, our counselor John, was, uh, he's in the middle of school. He's got a few classes under his belt. He's got a little experience as a DJ. He's got a little experience as a pastor. But no one could have expected him to take care of this incredibly beautiful and precious woman, but also very broken woman, who had everything from the severest of trauma you can imagine to even an experience of extreme bipolar condition. So here comes this guy, John, jumping into the deep waters with Carrie. He was definitely a brave soul. Then you've got Carrie herself. So the things that, that she experienced, uh, I won't describe, but uh, extended abuse. Um, and and she, she comes to share this story with us. So it was, you know, after a few counseling sessions and trust was built, uh, she began to share her story for the first time in her life with John. And she said, uh, after a few weeks of this counseling, she said, is it okay if I get your insight on an experience I've had? And John said, of, of course. So, so as she went into this story, she described a time when she was a little girl and she was just beaten up by her mother's boyfriend. She was laying, nearly passed out on the floor, bloody and broken. And in this place of just terror as a little girl, she had this vision. And she saw this man in white robes down to his feet who walked up to her, whose hair was glistening white as wool. And as he came near her, his face was brilliant as the sun shining. And as he, as he began to come nearer and nearer to her, she said she felt tremendous peace like she had never felt in her life. And she knew that she wanted to be near this man. But then this man, this brilliant man, this wonderful man of peace, stepped back. And in his place came these dark and gruesome, tall, gangly creatures who were screaming. And she began to feel that sense of terror again. And they bound her up. They wrapped her up, put her on a stretcher, and walked her through this dark door. The door closed behind her. And in this place of vulnerability, more grotesque creatures came, screaming, and she was in absolute terror. And then she heard metal hitting metal outside of the door. And she had no idea what was going on. But all she could hold on to is, I want that man of peace. I want that man of peace. And then she heard his voice. Everything stopped, and it said, you can't have her. She's mine. All of a sudden, the door opened. Everything else scattered, the darkness. And here's this brilliant man, glowing in white, shining like the sun, unwraps her, picks her up, walks her through the door back to a place of peace. And she sat there with longing in her eyes and asked John, our first counseling patient, with our first counselor, what do you think it could mean? It's absolutely incredible. And... And here we've got 
three stories of incredibly brave people for very different reasons. We've got our, our clinic director who has a strong faith and trusted in God leading her to this, even though she knew she could not do this in her own strength and raise these toddlers and take on this new mission and this new role and take a full-time job, she did it anyway because God was asking her to. And John, in the same way, he had no idea. In fact, he had no reason to be counseling somebody in this condition with just a lack of experience. But he trusted in the Lord's guidance that God had actually been the one who sent him back to school for counseling. And then Carrie herself, who had never shared this story before, but for whatever reason at this time, took up courage and decided that this was the time when she was going to share her story. She trusted us, and she trusted with a lot of courage to be able to open up like this. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, is this framework of courage, this incredible quality of life that allows all other qualities to happen. In fact, this is what a lot of people say is probably the most important value that we could ever have and embrace. Winston Churchill said, Courage is rightly esteemed the first of human qualities because it's the quality which guarantees all others. And Chesterton said that courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking on the form of a readiness to die. Well, rewind 2,000 years, and knowing what you know now, can you imagine Jesus lacking courage and just putting up with the status quo? Can you imagine Jesus lacking courage and deciding that uh, actually the prosperity gospel is the right thing? Sometimes I think that this time was really rewound. There was a time warp or something, and, and our memories were erased, and somebody implanted in our minds that the, 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 the true gospel is the pro- prosperity gospel. I mean, that would explain a lot, and we would have a great excuse for how we act sometimes these days. But that's not true, and that's not our reason, and that's not why we're here. So instead, the scriptures describe over and over again the courage that normal people like you and I took up because God's Spirit led them. The courage that they took up to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And this is what is required of us, all of us, working in in local ministry. Uh, So most importantly, we have this life of courage of our Savior in front of us today. And that's the picture we'll look at using the Sermon on the Mount to see what is Jesus getting his source of courage from? And what is Jesus using as a framework really to enter and engage missionally in our communities? Because this is exactly what he did. So first, right now, we're going to lay out a little preamble, just the foundation of what Jesus set before he began his Sermon on the Mount. All right, so I'll read both the scriptures leading up to the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel and from Luke's Gospel. This is from Matthew 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. All right, now we'll read from Luke's account. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. 
a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. This is from Luke chapter 6. And in this setting, we read the perfect ministry conditions. All of the ministry conditions that are necessary for local ministry. We have a Savior who has authority to teach and heal, and we have a group of people who are hungry for teaching and healing. Some of us today might wonder, are these conditions the same for us? Do we even exist or operate in those kinds of conditions today? But we know that by the power of the Spirit, Jesus is present everywhere. He's with us. Whether he's inside of us individually, and he's inside of us as the church, and he's outside of us. And everywhere we go to do ministry, Jesus has been there before us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And also, the other condition we have, people who are hungry for teaching and healing. We have this all around us. People are hungry for the word of God, and people are hungry for healing today. And so it's our challenge to figure out, Jesus, what are you doing? If we have these same ministry conditions today, what do we need to enter into what you're doing and participate in your local mission? So often we need the courage. We need this kind of courage that we talked about, the courage that John had in counseling, the courage that Carrie had in sharing her story, the courage that Michelle had in taking on this brand new ministry when she knows she wasn't capable in her own strength. You and I, we all need this kind of courage to do what we're called to do. And so let's use Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, as this ministry model and framework. It's basic. It's the plain and simple gospel. And it's powerful because these are the very things that give us authority to participate in what Jesus is doing in his healing and his teaching ministries. So let's start off with chapter 5, number 1, the first thing that Jesus does is he blesses the church. Now today we often hear that you're blessed because you are the one who survived the tragic accident. Or you are the one who has an incredibly successful company that's making a lot of money. Or you are the one that's always happy. So you're the blessed one. But we, we call these people today blessed that came to sit at Jesus' feet, the people that were broken diseased, hurting, paralyzed, sick, demonized. Today, far from it, we would not call these people blessed. But Jesus doesn't pay attention to external circumstances or to these conditions. In fact, Jesus looks at the hope for the future because he's the one who brought the kingdom. And when the king comes, the kingdom comes with him. So with this hope, Jesus declares this hopeful blessing about their future. Jesus doesn't hesitate and decide when or when not to give a blessing based on our external circumstances. So let's reframe this. In our planning of the women's clinic at the beginning, we started to put this artificial boundary, this artificial condition on certain people before we would give them our blessing of hope for the future. We had decided in our wisdom and in our strength that we would charge a fee for all our health care services, thinking that this would create some type of shared ownership for their health care. 
But this is one of those areas we needed to spend a little bit more time in prayer about. Because as we were launching the clinic in this pilot program, thankfully, in those three months of pilot before we went public, Jesus reminded our prayer team members, our staff, other volunteers, that no, I'm really asking you not to have that condition. That I need, to bl- I need you to give your blessing and to give hope to these people that I'm sending you, these patients, my precious people. I need you to do this for free. That was your condition you put on them, not mine. And it was an amazing course correction we had to make because we realized that we don't set the conditions for ministry, right? Were there any conditions on these people? The only condition then that they were fallen, they were there. They showed up because they wanted someone who had authority to teach and someone who had authority to heal. They knew this was a Christian clinic and this is why they were coming to us to receive something that they needed. And so it helped us really think about and reanalyze all of our ministry efforts locally. Are we putting ministry conditions on people before they receive this blessing of hope? Whatever it is, whatever your ministry is that that God is calling you to. And so this is a challenge for us because we need to ask ourselves, is our willingness to bless people contingent upon their external circumstances or is it contingent upon their willingness to show up to the feet of Jesus? So we have a story about that too because... Some, come on up, Heather. This is our new director of local missions here at New Life Church, Heather Bonney. And just to give a quick intro on this, we, you know, sometimes we put, we don't even think about this condition, but Jesus in this case is teaching and healing the masses who are very vulnerable. But that in itself for some of us today If God has given us people that come and sit at the feet of Jesus or sit at the feet of our ministries to find help and hope for their future, what if they're not these same people? And I think Heather's got a great story about that. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of challenge a little bit the framework which we can sometimes look at. If we say local ministry, local outreach, some um, churches might call it urban ministry, urban outreach, those kind of things, a lot of things start to come to mind for me, for sure, and I know a lot of other people, you might think, oh, you know, ministry to people in homeless situations, or ministry to the widow, the orphan, the poor. Um, But I wanted to also challenge, just as Matthew was talking about, is our willingness to bless people, um, is it also based on their lack of external circumstance? So do we look and say, okay, when we do local outreach and ministry, we're going to look at people who are in lack. And those are the people that we're going to reach out to. We're not going to, you know, there's kind of this whole population that might get overlooked um, because outward appearance, they might seem to have it all together. You know, but um, like in Matthew 19, um, the Bible says, well, Jesus says, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for um, a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And, you know, and then he talks about in the Beatitudes that blessed are the poor in spirit. And so um, I just want to challenge also as we talk about local ministry and local outreach, and as Matthew shares today, that we expand our viewpoint of who are these people? Are they just the poor? Um, Are they just those who are in difficult circumstances and maybe who have these horrible stories? Or 
are we also including in that viewpoint, are we including the wealthy, the very successful and accomplished people? Because really, these people are oftentimes um, in just as much poverty, and they're in just as much um, a challenge in their lives, and they are vulnerable people too. Um, before I came here, I worked for a couple of years for a ministry, and our predominant um, group of people that we would reach out to were very successful business people, men, women, um, whether it was business or medicine or the entertainment industry, but a lot of people, but they were wealthy and they had a lot of influence and a lot of success in their lives. Um, and so from external, you would you might just pass them by in a local outreach situation because you would think they've got it all, they don't need it. But these are the people who are very vulnerable. They're very prone to judgment. They are very prone from, you know, from other people in their communities. They're very prone to, um, they have a lot of times no self-control because they, or a very lack of self-control because they don't need to have self-control because they live in a world of indulgences. And so, um, in just so many other ways, their spirit might be impoverished. And, um, and so, I, just in that, as I began to work with them, I started to see these people live in poverty. They live in poverty of spirit. They live in poverty of community. A lot of times they're very isolated because of their jobs, because of their role in society. They are held to a higher standard and um, much more is expected of them. And therefore they have this poverty mentality and this poverty spirit in a different way than the guy that you might drive by under the underpass but they could be just as well sitting there holding a sign, but it would be not, you know, we'll work for food, but we'll work for, you know, just affection and attention and just a true touch of Jesus. So just as Matthew shares today, I just want to challenge us to really think about that framework of who do you define in your church and in your community as the impoverished and who are you really trying to reach? Um, and just to not be bound by the social norms of who outreach should be to, but just let Jesus really speak. Who are the people in, for your church in this season, who is God calling you to minister to? And don't be bound by what society tells you is these are the people that really need the help because your wealthy, your wealthy neighbor is just as much as your neighbor as your homeless neighbor. Um, and I just, I really like this quote that says, you know, the cup that is most difficult to carry is not the empty cup, but is the cup that is full to the brim. And so that's just something to start to really think about. You know, oftentimes we can look at the people who have nothing as the ones who need Jesus the most, but they're not the only ones who need him. So that's a perfect lead in to talk about <coughs> the next two parts of what Jesus is doing. So first... As Jesus leads up to the Sermon on the Mount, he blesses his church, right? He blesses them based on what he's doing as the king who's bringing the kingdom with hope for their future. The next thing he does, and this is in verses 13 through 16, so this is on your outlines, is he reminds the church of their identity. So Heather had a perfect lead in here because all of us have different identities as the church, right? But the one thing that we have in common is exactly what Jesus did right here. So when a, when a people has been, been beaten down by economic hardship, by disease, by demonic influence, all these things that Matthew and Luke talk about 
as, they, as Jesus leads into the Sermon on the Mount, are these the kinds of people that you would, would think of as salt and light or as the light of the world? This is a radical, a radical thing that Jesus is doing here. He's saying these are the people, he's calling out, specifically looking them in the eye, and he's saying you are salt and light and you are the light of the world. Would we call those people salt and light and light of the world today? So their external circumstances, again, did not determine their identity. What determined their identity was Jesus Christ. These are treasures of his people that he's made and he's breathed life into, and he is naming their identity. And through that that process of naming and claiming their identity as salt and light and light of the world, Jesus is drawing out their true identity, that these people were made in the image of God. So this is, let's reframe this using an example from from, uh, locally here. One of our outreaches is called Royal Family Kids Camp. And every year we take, this year we took 76 foster kids in El Paso County to an amazing camp for a week. Now if if you look at a kid that's in a normal, healthy, loving environment, People say, child psychologists say, you need about five compliments for every criticism for this child to develop a healthy and robust identity. But if you take a kid who's been abused or abandoned or both, all of our kids in the foster care system, they take about 20 compliments, 20 encouragements, what we call at camp, paths, positive affirmations, about 20 for every criticism in order to develop and maintain a healthy and robust identity. So, this is our whole point in camp every year, is to get these kids away where you can have a 20 to 1 ratio every day, 24 hours a day, for a week straight. And this does a huge reset on their identity. What is Jesus doing here? He's taking a group of people that are incredibly vulnerable and beat down, and before he gives them any mission, any vocation, any mission statement, any task, he speaks life into their identity. So first he blesses the church, then he reminds the church of her identity. And now, and only now, can he remind the church of her mission. And that's next. So, what does he do in reminding us of our mission? This is in verses 17 through 20. Now we might remember our identity of salt and light, or the light of the world, because we've all probably been following Jesus for a little while. But we might still forget our mission to do and teach the scriptures together. So this is what Jesus is calling us to do in this next session, is he's reminding us of our mission as the church, is to do and teach the scriptures together, to participate in his mission that he just brought with authority that was recognized by everyone there, the authority he had to heal and to teach. And he's inviting us to participate in this mission with him. So, how do we do this? Well, we really get excited sometimes about our identity as salt and light, or identity as the light on the world. But sometimes we can get so excited about this that we lose sight of our mission. And in this mission, it's just as important to continue to form our identity as anything else. So, we learned this the hard way again, doing some local outreach with all of our dozens of partners in ministry the last few years we found that we were a little bit too focused on our identity and on our being. And these simple reminders from the Sermon on the Mount remind us that these are the practices, the doing and the teaching together, participating in this simple gospel message is what also 
really makes our identity again robust as the church. So instead of assuming too much about our outreaches, we began working into all of them, prayer at the beginning, prayer at the end, practices of teaching that we would model, not only with people we're, we're ministering to in the community, but with ourselves, with each other, with our volunteers, with our staff. And we began to see, wow, we can also find our identity as salt and light in our community we're serving with because we're doing the practices of our community. These practices that Jesus taught are just as identity-forming as, as anything else. So practically, what did this look like? It resulted in our whole identity shifting, our whole identity changing. This whole identity of New Life Church is our common values, our core values of worship, connect, and serve. People began to live those out increasingly. So now every leadership meeting, every outreach, everything we do begins and ends in prayer, and a lot of it has to do with those, those parts of our DNA that we emphasize. So here's the challenge for all of us, is what's our unique identity and what's our unique mission? Not only for our church and our ministry that God's calling us to, but how does that fit into the bigger picture of God's mission for his church in your city? In your city. So these are great questions, and I have challenges for each one of these sections on the Sermon on the Mount that we can walk through as a leadership team, as a ministry team doing outreach. All right, so this is the summary. God blesses the church. God reminds the church of her identity. God reminds the church of her mission. And this is a big foundation that he's laying right now. Because at the end, he summarizes his whole Sermon on the Mount with a little piece about authority. And so in between this beginning and in between the end, he's actually laying out a ministry map for these kind of practices in life that as a people who identify with Jesus Christ, our identity is salt and light, and people who identify our mission with participating in Jesus' healing and teaching ministry with authority, there are practical ways and priorities that Jesus has to live those things out. So all these numbers don't get overwhelmed, right? This is a you know, this is not the typical sermon Sunday where people have three points and you're out. So I think I have 24 points on that. We're not going to go into each one of these in details, but I wanted to, to map this out in a simple way that we could take the core of the gospel, Jesus' teaching, and say, this, this is something he's doing. He, this is Jesus' local ministry with a group of very vulnerable, impoverished people that are wanting his teaching and healing. This is the same conditions that we're operating on each of our cities today. And he, he just hands over the map, the ministry map. He says, here it is. Here's these main points. Let me tell you what your identity is. Let me tell you what your mission is. Oh, and then let me summarize from the scriptures, looking through all the scriptures, what these priorities are and how to actually live this out so you too can participate in this with authority. So you too can walk into your cities and operate with authority to teach and authority to heal. So here they are. So the first one, after this foundation he lays, number four on your sheet, is love those you've hurt. Now can you imagine this? Jesus, here's these incredibly vulnerable people. Obviously, lots of people have hurt them. But he doesn't regard that. This is right out of the gates, right out of the beginning. He's calling these very hurt and vulnerable people to forgive those who have hurt them, to love those who have hurt them, to take that initiative. It's absolutely incredible. And oftentimes in our ministries today, I think this is the challenge for us, is that we think people need a certain degree of healing 
before they can begin to go back out and reconcile. But this is the hard work of reconciliation that the gospel requires, and it requires tremendous, tremendous courage. First, there, there's one difference, I think. There's two differences, I think, that we, then, uh, that we often think of here that I did, at least, that God was really speaking to me about when I read this. And first, it's not just the big sins he's talking about. He's not ta- just talking about murder. He's not just talking about divorce. He's not talking about adultery. I mean, he is, but he's not limiting it to that. Jesus mentions anger. Anger that could be simply in our heart. So Jesus is calling out the motivations of our heart. And he's saying, not even that. Not even that you can stuff. Right now, before, before you do anything else, we need to deal with the motivations in your heart. And second, we can't afford to wait or else judgment is coming soon. So no, don't go plan that block party. Don't go plan that worship event. Don't go plan your kids' vacation for the weekend and you want to go to Orlando. This is how serious it is, even for people who have been hurt by so many others. We need to do the hard work of reconciliation. We have to do the hard work of reconciliation first. So this would be a great practice to take with your local ministry teams. I think the challenge is to take a pulse on your team, on your staff, on your volunteers. Ask them and yourselves and your team this simple question. Is there anyone, any group, any particular population of people that you're serving in your city where we need to reconcile with? Is there anyone that we need to do the hard work of reconciliation with? And it could have been caused, hurt caused by the past, somebody who came before you on staff, some volunteer. We don't know. But we have to be paying attention to this and be intentional about it because there's people where ministry of Jesus Christ is impeded because we haven't yet done the hard work in reconciliation. All right, number five. This is the next one. Is Jesus takes us in verses 27 through 37 and challenges us to grow in covenant love. So this is the simple covenant love between spouses and between us and God. Between spouses and between us and God. And Jesus brings brings us right back to the heart of the kingdom. Things that the scriptures tell us throughout. The importance of God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, his covenant love. This is love so confident that it doesn't need to make any excuses for itself. This is love that's so courageous that it will cross any barrier to make sure that it is known. So, this is the hard challenge for us. As we reframe this, what boundaries and barriers, first of all, is God calling us to? But which ones are we going to be courageous enough to cross in order to make sure that this kind of courageous love is known? Now, I know that all of you are already here today because you've already crossed some of those borders. You've crossed some of those boundaries. You've crossed them and found the points of pain in your city where people are in poverty, whether it's relationally or otherwise, needing the teaching and healing of Christ. But when's the last time you reevaluated this? Is your whole team aware of it? Do all your volunteers know the specific boundaries that you're intentionally crossing and that God is calling you to as a team to do this kind of ministry? So this is something that we should be doing at least annually, if not more. Asking the Lord, just simply sitting there and inviting the Holy Spirit to lead us, as a team, saying, God, what boundaries are you asking us to cross? Here's, I think this is on your summary sheet for this point. Are we expecting a great transformation in any of our local ministries 
but do not yet have a strategy to grow in coven- covenant love of God and spouse. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel really convicted about this. Uh, everyone just take a look around the room. Real quick, look at everyone. See who's the crowd we have. All right, Jerome, my really good friend from Denver who came down. He, he's the only African-American in here. All right, and how, how diverse is the rest of the crowd? Not very, right? So, so I would imagine that some of the boundaries we've crossed in our communities are a little more diverse than this room right now. And I would imagine that if we are trying to see transformation in these places in our city, and we're the ones bringing the knowledge of how to grow in covenant love to our spouses in those neighborhoods and to God in those neighborhoods, that we might be lacking some wisdom and understanding. So who are we partnering with to get that understanding? Who are we partnering with to understand cross-cultural differences? And have we done the hard work of crossing those boundaries ourselves first to listen and to get to know others so that we might have, first of all, the trust that needs to be built, but second of all, some better understanding of how to grow in covenant love in these communities. So this is a challenge for all of us, right? Especially this group that's not very diverse in this room today. And this is something that we can, it's simple, again, we can sit with our ministry teams and ask them, Lord, lead us. Holy Spirit, lead us. Who can we partner with? And how can we stop and listen to better understand how to grow in covenant love in these neighborhoods where we're working and serving? Okay. Maybe let's take, that's a great one. We've got, only time during this hour to do this a couple times, but let's break up into groups right now. Grab two other people. So grab groups of three, and let's ask these questions right now and see. And maybe you guys can share some ideas with each other on how you might be able to partner, whether it's other parachurch ministries nationally, whether it's groups of people in your cities. But how can you do this thing so that you can see better transformation? You can allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to minister in these neighborhoods. And if this hasn't been a thought of yours to grow in covenant love, Maybe the simple question is, how can we make this more of a a priority if we haven't thought about this intentionally yet? Okay, let's take three minutes. Go.
three seconds or so and we'll wrap up uh, those conversations. Okay, I am so glad you guys are having some good discussion. I wish we had more time to do this, but we're going to jump back in now. And uh, let's go ahead. On your uh, handouts, you can look ahead. Let's jump to the next point in Matthew seven, twelve. So this is called the golden rule revisited. And I think we need to, this is incredibly important for us doing local ministry together to revisit this rule often uh, with our teams. Uh, and why? Because we've, we've probably become too familiar with this. We've heard the golden rule, not only in ministry settings, but in any kind of setting in the world around us. It's become cliche. And we've thought about it maybe in certain ways for so long that we need to challenge ourselves to rethink what the golden rule is really about. So let's reframe this. This is from Wendell Berry, The Long-Legged House. He says, We have lived our lives by the assumption that what was good for us would be good for the world. We have been wrong. We must change our lives so that it will be possible to live by the contrary assumption that what is good for the world will be good for us. And that requires that we make the effort to know the world and learn what is good for it. In a similar way, Henry Nouwen from Here and Now said, this is the way of downward mobility, the descending way of Jesus. It's the way towards the poor, the suffering, the marginal, the prisoners, the refugees, the lonely, the hungry, the dying, the tortured, the homeless, toward all who ask for compassion. What do they have to offer? Not success, popularity, or power, but joy and peace of the children of God. So, instead of taking inventory of my desires and assuming that these would be the same kinds of desires that others would share, we must first understand the other, and then only then can we know how they would like to be treated. Here is our ministry challenge we can bring back to our teams. Is has our team developed enough trust through building relationships to really understand the needs of the people we serve? Now let's just think about that. Just pick one example of outreach that you've done in the last month. The people you're serving... Just ask yourself the question, how well do you know them? How well do they trust you? How well do they know you? How well do you know their desires? Are those desires the same desires that you share? These are incredibly important questions. Because Jesus is calling us not to put our desires on places somebody else and serve them in the way that we like to be treated, but he is saying that everyone has this incredible desire to be loved. Everyone is made in the image of God, and everyone deserves to be served in a way that they would be honored and loved. 
So that's our hard work to check that out. And if, if our volunteers, if our staff, if our teams are not thinking in this way, it will show. Trust me, we've learned this the hard way through Adopt-A-Block. We go out every first Saturday of the month into a particular neighborhood in the city, and we love and serve people. But when we don't do our work ahead of time in training, in reminding, in coaching, people show up knocking at doors, and it's our desires that get placed on others. It's not necessarily done in a heart to serve them. And so we're continually trying to think, how can we do this not legalistically, but how can we bring this heart of the golden rule to people we're serving in a way that honors them? So it's a great challenge for us as ministry teams. All right, the next challenge, number 20. The road we travel is evidence of the gate we enter. Now we often judge people by, by their description of the gate they entered instead of judging the road they tread. And Jesus, in this simple picture, is helping us to see the importance of getting on the right road that leads to the narrow gate. So often, we judge the gate. And what Jesus is really inviting us into is saying, come, bring people along on this journey, on this road of serving and loving people in my kingdom ways, and they'll discover the gate. They will discover it. We're fiercely independent beings made with God-given freedom, right? So if we spend too much time emphasizing the gate, people will rebel. If we spend too much time emphasizing the road and just the ways, we just become a social service. But God puts these both together. And he's helping us with these images. He's helping to invite us and our teams onto this journey of serving together where we discover that gate somewhere along the road together. So here's our challenge. And I think that we can use Matthew 25 as a great picture of this because both in Matthew 7 and Matthew 25, we're looking towards the great eternal judgment. We're looking towards the end. We're looking towards eternal life together. And in this parable, the judgment of the nations, Jesus is using this as a litmus test for us. In ministry, how might we invite people into this journey of local ministry the Jesus way? And how might we change the way we do gate checks? So that's a great, a great image for our team is, are we doing gate checks or are we helping people along this road? Okay, now let's skip over 21, 22, because I want to have some time here to emphasize Jesus' final couple points in his Sermon on the Mount. Now on 23, this is in chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus is making a point that we need to hear God. Now, while continuing to do God's word, we must learn how to hear the voice of God or we'll deceive ourselves, his prior point, and we'll deceive our communities. And we'll lack the vision that God has for us to carry out this vision. So are we equipping our ministry teams to hear the voice of God? I think that a great, a great point, if you're going to walk through this framework with your ministry team, is to go back over the framework for his whole Sermon on the Mount. So, have we blessed people with hope for their future? Have we spoken into their identity? Have we given them a very clear mission from the scriptures? Have we walked through all the practicalities in between, the practices that Jesus describes that give us authority to teach and preach and participate in his ministry? And then finally, he wraps up his Sermon on the Mount with this last important instruction to hear to hear the voice of the Father. And if we can't do that, then everything else is a waste of time. 
It's a waste. And I think that this is the most important point. He keeps it at the end because it leads to the, the summary of this whole sermon in verses 28 and 29. And the way that I would summarize what Jesus is saying here is that some have authority and some don't. Right? We judge people by the fruit of their ministry. So we can all be active in what we're doing in our lives, in our vocation, in our local ministries together. Some things are going to have fruit, some things won't. And that's how we can judge these things. But God is giving us clues on how to have authority all along. He opens up his preamble to the Sermon on the Mount with authority, right? We have the conditions for ministry. A Savior who has authority to teach and to heal, and a people who are hungry for teaching and healing. And he ends this with an emphasis on on spending time with the Father, knowing who he is, hearing the voice of God, and then judging the fruit. And everything in between is how we get there, how we can lead our teams, how we can take our teams there. So you guys are here today because you have a vision already for your team. And this is some of the hardest work we can ever engage in together in ministry. Local ministries, it will wear you out if you're needs-driven, right? We know this. We've been down that road. But if we are vision-led because we can hear the voice of the Lord, we know our identity and we know our mission and we are practicing these simple things like forgiveness and prayer daily and fasting and all these things that Jesus describes in his Sermon on the Mount. Are, are we emphasizing those things or are we emphasizing doing our weekend outreaches? If we can't get the Sermon on the Mount right, we will have no authority to teach and heal when we go into our cities. Absolutely none. We're going to have dead words, and we're going to have dead ministry, and people won't receive healing, and they won't receive teaching. But you all have this vision in your hearts that God has planted. And it is going to take every bit of courage, like John had in counseling this first patient, like Michelle had in taking on this ministry. And it's our role as leaders to speak this courage and life and keep that vision alive in our teams. So what's that vision that God's given you? What is that vision that he wants to keep alive? What is that vision that he doesn't want to die? I can tell you that we were so close to letting the vision for Mary's home die with failed grant applications, with failed building attempts to buy new buildings, with failed this, with failed that. But we knew that God had spoken this vision to us because it was born out of prayer. And it was born out of a place, and John can tell you this, Literally hundreds and hundreds of people for over six months praying this vision into existence. And when God does that, it's our role to grab onto it, to continue to participate in what God's doing, to follow this framework, this amazingly encouraging ministry model that gives us in the Sermon on the Mount so that we can actually have the authority to carry out these visions. So whatever you do, don't go to your grave letting a vision that God put in you shrivel up and die away. All 24 of these points on your handout can be practiced. They're simple. This is not, this is not wise and persuasive words. This is simple gospel. And we don't need to do it legalistically, but we just practice it because we're responding to the love of the Father. Now, I just got engaged on Sunday. So we also know that these things, there's a time for everything. There's a season for everything. This right now for me 
is a season to feast and not a season to fast, right? But there's a time for that. And there's a time for all of these points on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if we get a year down the road and we're trying to grasp onto this vision that God put on our hearts and we haven't practiced a lot of these daily things in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has given us as a roadmap, then we are going to be the ones desperate and hungry for healing and desperate and hungry for more of our Savior's teaching because we'll be malnourished. Amen? Well, we would love to continue to partner with you, to serve you, to get ideas from you, to share, to do ministry together. I'm so grateful you've come here today. Uh, We've got contact info at the end. So you've got Heather's contact info who is leading our way with local ministries at New Life and you've got mine with Dream Centers. We've helped a lot of people around the country already in the past three years start medical clinics, start other kinds of ministries and outreach because they heard we were doing this and we just got to partner together and pray together. We would love to do the same with you and learn from you. So thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.